Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Arts Equator Theatre Podcast. Um, this is Naeem Kapadia, and I'm joined with Matt Lyon. Tis I. And Nabila Said, who is back. Hello. Um, today, we are going to be talking about a production by Pangdemonium called Girls and Boys. This is the company's first live theatre production in over a year uh, mm-hmm. since The Sun, which they did in February 2020. It um, It is by Dennis Kelly, directed by Tracy Pang, and is starring Nikki Muller in a one-woman show. It's basically the story of... Um, and I'm quoting from, I think, publicity materials here, an ordinary woman and her sort of not so ordinary mm. life and the story of her and her family. So, yeah, Nabila, mm-hmm. um, I understand you watched this show in London um, yes. uh, some time ago with Carrie Mulligan and now mm. you've seen the show in mm. Singapore. So maybe tell us a little bit about your thoughts about watching the show initially and what this production brought to it. Well, first of all, spoiler warning. It's going to be spoilery, this whole um, um, episode. This play, as Naim says, is about a woman recounting um, how she meets her husband. And it's almost like a meet-cute in um, Naples. And, and the long story of it is that they get married and they have two kids. And so for most of this play, she talks about their relationship. And you know that something's not quite right. And they go through ups and downs. And it builds up into her revealing that her husband has killed her kids in this thing that's called family annihilation, where a husband totally destroys the family by killing children, sometimes the wife, sometimes themselves. Uh, in this case, um, he's killed their two young children. And attempted to kill himself but failed. Yes. So I've watched it in London. And the funny thing is, like, even though they do try to make it a reveal that happens very suddenly, almost towards the end, um, I knew it from the start. And so I was trying to see how um, they were building up to that kind of reveal. And it's pretty Mm. interesting because Carrie Mulligan, um, the characterization of this main character, who's not named... Not named, right? yes. I think she's kind of like an every woman type yep. uh, character. Um, Nikki Muller actually plays her as a kind of quirky, oddball. She has a very interesting yep. energy. Uh, in the play, she does a lot of accents, almost like a comedic type turn. of... yeah. I'm sorry? A turn. A turn, yeah. Almost yep. a comedic play on that character. And Carrie Mulligan is, was so different. And it's so interesting because it's the same lines, right? But with Carrie Mulligan, mm. the London production in Royal Court, she had almost like a masculine quality so you would always see her with her hands in her pockets and standing like really kind of straight and long uh, very restrained so uh, that was the first thing that I noticed from the start Nikki Muller was expending a lot of energy in trying to uh, make her very likeable and I did find mm. her likeable I did really really feel for this woman and I was laughing at her jokes but it did feel a little bit projecting outwards into the audience yeah, too very much, much so. It was too much for me, you're right. She was projecting it very strongly. And I think I would have preferred the Kerry Mulligan approach, what I'm imagining. Of course, I didn't see it. But, you know, you see performances where the audience is invited to come towards the actor. And you see other performances where the actor goes after the audience very strongly. And Mm. the Singaporean one was very much that. And I tend to find that a little bit off-putting. I think also when you've got auditoriums that, for COVID reasons, are not full. Mm. 
I think it's hard to go after the audience because you've kind of got your own like personal space around you. You lose that herd mentality of being part of the crowd. Mm. And I think also the actor loses a little bit of a sense of everybody laughing and sharing reactions at the same time, which you get when you get a full house. And so I think they're really trying to play against an imagined audience. Mm. And I'm not sure if in the acting directing process enough work had been put into imagining the audience so that the timing would work out and so that the extent that the actor had to project their physicality and their personality out into the auditorium was pleasant, I think, even for the audience to listen to. And it's strange because Tracy's incredibly good when she gets more than one actor of making sure that it is only possible for one of the actors to speak if the other is willing to accept it, is ready, has mm. that impulse of understanding. And she's wonderful at that. Like It's a standout point of her direction, but she doesn't seem to have applied the same logic to the audience. So all those little pauses that we take, I mean, I'm looking at you and Naeem's nodding and you're nodding, and that means that I can continue with what I'm saying. Yeah. And it just wasn't there. And it felt like I was, you know, standing bracing against a tidal wave that just kept coming past me. And so a lot of what she was doing, yeah, I wanted to like her, but I had that very English sense of, you're too close, you're too close. Let me make a cup of tea and we'll sit down at opposite ends of the table and we'll be fine. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, this is the first show to my mind that Pangdemonium has done, which is a one-person show. Mm. Everything else has been a play ensemble. with, with set, an ensemble yeah. cast and you know so you don't have actors playing off each other's energies and I think I was a little similar to Matt I was drawn into the story because I wanted to find out what was going on obviously it's set up as some sort of a romantic comedy maybe with a divorce element Mm. that's what I thought initially but yeah she was speaking really quickly and I just didn't feel myself fully relaxed Mm. I didn't feel invited in and I think I felt a bit that I was just working maybe a little extra hard just to understand Mm. her and try to figure out what was going on Mm. whereas maybe more work should have been put into building that relationship with the audience and ensuring that the audience exchanged Mm. energies back with the actor whereas I just felt it was a lot of energy being projected on Mm. me not to say that it deterred from my appreciation of the play because you know as you have pointed out she was fantastic in embracing the comedy and she obviously played up the character a lot more than I imagine the the London production so she was very physical she Mm. was doing a a lot of like little comedic bits Mm. Um, I think she was reenacting a moment where she had like a sexual encounter and she was doing a a lot of accents, I think, um, which was very, very entertaining to watch. So there was always something to see, but mm. sometimes it felt a bit much. And when I think about the revelation which she does towards the end of the play, when there was this absolute stillness mm. as she recounted to us what actually happened and how her kids got stabbed and exactly where it was almost visceral, but so quiet and still, I just kind of wished for that. Mm. quietude, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I can see why you want to go for that contrast, right? But it's like you're not trusting the audience to come to you. It's assaulting you almost with like all this energy and charisma and personality. And and doing that so that you can contrast with the stillness. That's what I thought they were going to do. And even then, the contrast with the stillness, yes, she was still at the end, but when she cries it still had that presentational Mm. quality of filling the space. 
So I'm not even sure it was that big of a contrast. In terms of did she do what she was doing well, yeah, absolutely. And maybe there are people who would prefer this choice, especially when we've been locked indoors watching film and TV acting, which tends to be a lot smaller. So, yeah, maybe there are people who absolutely responded to this and it's their cup of tea, but not mine. That definitely were, because on the night that I went, there were tons of people who gave her a standing ovation. Mm. Yeah, so people were like really appreciative of all this energy that she expended in telling the story um, and even in recounting the darker, more violent bits. Or maybe just applauding like the resilience of the human spirit or like this woman's spirit. So I did sense that there was an appreciation for that and I can kind of see why there was because of this post-COVID, well not post, but an appreciation for like live performance that's really trying to do a lot and reach the audience. Yeah, but if I contrast it with the other monologue that I saw, the CTK one, An Actress Prepares, she let us come to her. And that gave me the warmth. Yeah, I think Mickey Muller gave the impression of working harder and one always wants to respond mm. to that kind of diligence with appreciation. But yeah. I'm happy to do some work as well. I'm happy to come to you. It's funny because um, I remember reading this article about how like a lot of acting by Asian actors is very restrained and very internal. So much so that a lot of Western like award shows tend to overlook these performances as right. being too subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, and just something that you mentioned reminds me of that. And I think CTK has more experience in doing monologues as well. Holding space in a room without needing to yeah. go out into the audience that much. So, yeah. Undeniably, it's a very, very demanding performance and there has been a lot of work which Tracy and Nikki Muller have obviously done in working on the cues and the facial tics and Mm. the miming and Mm. things like that. And I think perhaps, Nabila, you might have picked up on this more because you watched the first iteration, you Mm. knew of the horrible tragedy. So you perhaps were a bit more heightened to the the points where, you know, you can get a sense, the sense that something is wrong. But I think for the rest of us, it's no way that I think anyone can plausibly expect mm. how this is going to turn out. I think you get a sense that something is off and something is going to happen. There's a line that the kids are no more. So Yeah, you quite know, early on, I feel that I line think somewhere came in out. the middle yeah. of the play. So I was thinking, oh, you know, maybe they were either taken away from her mm. or accident, something or the other. But obviously nobody expects it to be a killing of by the no. father. You can never expect violence like that. But in a story, whether or not we should be expecting the playwright, the director to kind of drop a little bit more clues so then it doesn't become such a big reveal at the end that comes too late, right? Matt, um, you were saying earlier yeah. that it was unexpected. That's an interesting word, actually. I think so. Throughout the play, there are three or four flashbacky, supposed flashbacks where she interacts with imaginary children and, you know, mimes hugging them and talks to them. And the sound design there by the unnamed sound designer, who presumably has a name, but the electronic program was so abysmally designed, I was not going to spend the amount of my life that it would take to find that. So well done, unnamed sound designer, because immediately it was clear that something had gone wrong. Mm. There were these little distorted children's voices echoing in the background. Yeah. You put some reverb on her, it's all discordant. And But it's not overdone. Mm. You know, you know something's bad, but you can still engage with what's going on on stage. But you don't know what is bad. And then at the end of the play, when it turns out to be family annihilation and the last 15 to 20 minutes deal with that, the question it raises for me is, why isn't the whole play about that? Mm. And if you think of Pangdemonium's other 
issue plays next to normal with mental illness, falling with autism. Mm. Most of the plays they do, they deal with the issue for the vast majority of the running time. Rabbit Hole also deals with the death of a child, as does Late Company, and they're all about unpacking the aftermath. And that's how most issue plays are going to work. But this one deals with the before math, but it still doesn't even lead us through a sequence of events which would result in family annihilation. There comes a point where we are told what has happened. And sure, we can look back and say, okay, he was behaving a bit strangely. But it's not like you're joining the dots and coming up with a picture. It has the element of a twist. Mm. And I've got to wonder, why would you do a twist because you have a twist just before the play ends and there's not time to discuss the aftermath. And it seems to me like you can't pretend that this is an issue play if you're not willing to discuss the consequences and even the proper warning signs. And so it felt a little bit cheap for me in that regard. We're supposed to follow her along and then, oh, shock horror. Okay, shock horror, sure. Somebody gets killed in the last act. We can have that kind of twist. Shock horror, by the way, family annihilation is very important and we should talk about it. Okay, well, write a play about it then. Mm. I'm still of two minds about this. I don't know to what extent we can expect family annihilation in any kind of way in our daily lives. It's just so out there. And I also think that in this play, they're trying to say that there's no real way to to know that this thing is going to happen. You know, your, your husband may display some signs of being removed or distant, but no one says Absolutely. like, okay, so he's going to kill his children tomorrow. So right? then a discussion of it would be how you grieve, how you deal with it, how you reconcile the idea that you may have your own guilt. Mm. But instead, what we get is essentially a female monologue. Essentially, we get Shirley Valentine for an hour and a half, something like that, an hour mm. and 20, where, yeah, there's little disconcerting bits, but you can't predict what's going to happen. And what I would say is I cannot psychologically believe that anyone who has gone through the experience that the main character has gone through in this play could perform that first hour and 20 minutes. Mm. They would not speak like that about meeting their husband and him being cute and him being so... She recounts a little scene where he deals with models in an airport queue and gives them a dressing down because they're trying to manipulate him. And, oh, isn't he attractive for doing that? And isn't he clever? And isn't he funny? This is the man who, by this point, she knows has killed her children. Mm. It is not possible for her Mm. to act in that manner. And so that cheapens the element of the twist for me. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Talking about how to spot signs that your husband is going to kill your children. It's not relevant. But an authentic recount of what happened would by Mm. no means take this form. Yeah. So it made me think about the idea of the unreliable narrator. Like not in a literary way, but like, are we meant to believe this person? Um, and I think the reason why you, you're saying it's cheap is because we are kind of led to fall in love with her or believe in this character. But then with the ending, it becomes like two Lego bricks that don't fit oh, yeah. together. And I think maybe that's why you really felt cheated. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Like, yeah, no, I think that's why it kind of almost feels like two different plays mm. because the first two thirds of it was essentially like this nice chummy monodrama with the ups and downs of family life, if you like. And then suddenly there's this shocking revelation and then kind of like an attempt to analyze the character Mm. where she Mm. goes on about oh you know male annihilation happens more often than we think it's not reported and she throws some statistics in our face and it kind of becomes a bit 
this is how to spot signs. And mm. I don't know that I necessarily liked the way that was dealt with. And I'm just thinking if that revelation could have happened earlier on, possibly even at the midpoint, Maybe. so mm. that at least we had some, you know, pivot to kind of I navigate. I think there's a part at the end where she says that she's attempting to rewrite her memories yes. with the children yeah. to take the father out of them so that no matter whether it's a loving scene that she's remembering with the children or even one of tension, which most of the flashbacks are, at least he wasn't there. Yeah. And then why is she spending the entire play talking about yeah, him? Yeah, that's true. You know, that's just a self-negating premise. Mm. As opposed to another of um, Dennis Kelly's plays I've read and seen, it was directed by my colleague last year, DNA, which I think is an absolute masterpiece for young actors. It's also about unexpected or unexplained brutality. And it's about a group of kids who somewhat accidentally, somewhat in a Lord of the Flies manner, end up killing one of their own and have to cover up the crime. Mm. And so it deeply investigates over its entire running time the nature of that brutality and advances the premise, are we chimps who will rip each other's face off and go to war and smack each other with sticks? Or are we bonobos where it's all about the good times and the loving and the compassion and the empathy and plays those ideas off each other? It's wonderful and it's absolutely an examination of what it claims to be an examination of what is written into our dna that will result in these behaviors and then this play mm, mm. seems to be like he wanted to do brutality again but he'd forgotten how just now you were saying how um you're calling this like an issues play right i kind of disagree i don't think mm. it's an issues play i think it's an idea play or it's a play with a thesis statement that there's a kind of pattern of violence in our society seems like he's saying it's rooted yeah. in maleness and masculinity. It's there in the title, right? Girls and boys. And then we see it played out in the children. The girl is very... Uh, she's like a creator, right? She's almost mm, like yeah. a... She loves building things Seems and creating things. And the son, like Naim was saying, just wants to destroy and he wants to like play at war-like scenario in their home and running around. and So that violence and binary of like girls versus boys, it feels like that's the idea that the playwright started with. Um, yes. And family annihilation was just like one way to kind of uh, paint Yeah, that so then scenario. it seems shoehorned for me and inauthentic yeah. and possibly even exploitative. But mm. I do agree with you. I think that was probably the genesis of the play and I wish it had followed that track a little bit more. Yeah, no, no, I think I agree as well. I think that seems to be more in line with the theme. It's mm. about, you know, masculinity and femininity. It's about the roles which we play in society. There are all these anecdotes about her trying to make it into the film industry and working extra hard. Mm. And then her boss, who's an older woman, having to prove herself even though she's been successful yeah. when she wants to adopt a child. And there's another little anecdote I think she has with an older male colleague about how, oh, male achievement is celebrated, but male failure isn't. Mm. And, you know, there's all these little... Yeah. You know, hints that like, yeah, men, you know, we uh, seem to have it a lot easier and yeah. are able to kind of go and do as they please. And obviously mm. there's the hint of destructiveness with the son, which is, you know, sadly echoed in the father later on. So I suppose the gender dynamics was ultimately the idea. Yeah. And this was maybe just a slightly curveball or mm. violent way of dealing with it. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily consider it as a family annihilation play because mm. if it's meant to be, then absolutely it should start with that and we deal with the aftermath. I think it's also, though, not a very good gender play. Mm. 
I think that's probably a hard thing to achieve by having a single gendered actor performing a monologue anyway, mm. unless it's a very, very multi-roly thing, whereas this is essentially her telling yeah. stories. Yeah, we don't so, hear, yeah. I mean, that's in there, but I don't really think that that was pursued to its right. apotheosis either. Yeah. A, a lot of the flashbacks where she's dealing with the kids and they have very gendered behavior mm. got quite repetitive. It did, it did. I was thinking about how, um, I think we mentioned that Nikki Muller was quite physical in how yeah. she was playing that character. I did wonder if like, maybe I was overthinking this, but I was like, oh, is this like women trying to reclaim the space? Because I felt like she kept yeah. bending down and like, she used levels quite a bit, trying to really fill the space. And of course, like uh, it's set in a, a kind of like living room that's being packed up, right? Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. And I thought again, you know, Pangdemonium is famous for having these symbolic things mm. in their sets over the years. And again, immediately, it came to mind like oh she's trying to sort out her life she's an empty box at the moment mm. she's a husk and she's trying to fill herself up mm. again probably fill herself with the right memories mm. that sort of thing and yeah. I think that segues nicely into the set yeah. um, which has been designed by Yin Kwok and it's quite interesting because we've got a full open plan living room with a kitchenette and a sofa set and a lot of cardboard boxes which she spends the play packing things into mm. but it's superimposed in a little black contained within essentially a black cage a black yeah mm. and I'm not sure what I felt about that though mm. what the point was I don't know what did you think about that Matt because I just thought is it just a symbolic gesture of how she's kind I of trapped and think... cubed or something I think you can sell it like that but I think essentially you got to make the call when you're doing a monologue like this. Do you want to have no set or some set? And if you go with the some set, then you can't fill a stage that large with the set. You have to limit the space or it will look ridiculous. Right. So things like the weight of silk on skin, they went with the other option of, well, let's have no set then. And indeed, let's open all the travel curtains so that we go all the way back to the back wall of the theatre and we play with the idea of being able to use all this vast amount of space. Mm. But you can't put an unusually large living room on the stage of the uh, drama theatre mm. and then operate within it. So I think it was largely a correct but practical choice, which was then probably dressed up a little bit by having the black iron work surrounding mm. it and so also like a, a fluorescent lighting below like box, if I'm not like mistaken box. yes and I did like that choice I think that glows right red yeah, or blue yeah it glowed or from below and they put this black cage within a, a white cyclorama essentially so that gives you painting options so I think that gives them a little bit of a kind of symbolic opportunity to mm, use yeah. colour and to create alienation and distance for the audience yeah. I thought it was well done I don't know if there's enough there to write a thesis on. Mm. Yes, yes. Um, we were talking earlier about the idea of whether this play needs a trigger warning. Um, mm. and, and this is something that we saw in a comment on a Facebook post. And I was thinking about this because I usually am of like, you always need a trigger warning. And I do feel this play could have done with it because the violence that isn't shown but is described in amazing detail, as Naim was saying, was very visceral, was quite disturbing. And some people may not be able to handle that. But for me in the play, I felt that having a female protagonist a very warm character. There is some hints that she drops, maybe a bit too subtle or maybe it just doesn't add up towards the end. But I felt that there were like gentle forms of trigger warnings that was built in the play. Yeah, um, once you're locked in your seat. Once you're locked in your seat. So I think that's something that's for Pangnamoni to think about um, when they do plays with visceral, difficult violence being portrayed. 
I'm yeah. not really sure what I think about trigger warnings at the best of times. I will say that the fact that this didn't have one is an indication that it privileges the idea of there being a twist. Mm. And that I think that that is, again, quite cheap. That's probably true because didn't they have a message at the end to say don't reveal the spoiler? Oh yeah, they did. Yeah. Which I was a bit, I don't know. And I'm not sure how I feel about even describing it as a spoiler. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. I don't know about how, whether that would even cheapen, as, as to use your term, like cheapen the whole experience. I mean, like your family being annihilated is a spoiler. Yeah. I mean, like, I, yeah, I feel like I felt it was, if yeah. you want to have a play about it, I think it should absolutely be discussed. This mm. is a play about family violence, mm. like not don't tell the audience, don't tell your friends, you know, let them come into the play thinking it's a romantic it. <laughs> a romantic comedy. I mean, not to say that this detracted from my enjoyment, but I think it's also about responsibility as, an, as a company and, you know, having some sense of care for the people who watch this play. I mean, I, mm. I remember the M1 Fringe and there were constant announcements about safe spaces outside the auditorium yeah, yeah. even in plays play. where you were like really someone would need them yeah, yeah I remember it happened in almost everything I watched for the M1 Fringe yeah. um, and I can't think of a play like it being more relevant yeah, than yeah. in a play like this yeah. even if it was just an announcement at the start of the play it's interesting because it feels like an indictment on society isn't it because the line at the end of the play that says society is built to stop men from enacting violence I feel mm. that the lack of a trigger warning it's almost like saying that we don't need a trigger warning because this is our world like our world is filled with violence and, and we should be inoculated against like shock or you know mm. or feeling hurt or aggrieved by seeing violence I think I mean I don't know just something interesting things to think about I suppose yeah so that was Girls and Boys thank you very much and we will be back in a couple of weeks with um, one or possibly two shows um, stay tuned stay tuned and out. thank you very much yeah thank you bye so bye. much bye, bye. bye.